All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Bullock Jr. That is me. With me, as always, a man who hasn't ordered delivery in what feels like an eternity. Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? <sighs> healthy. Healthy, Mike. Is that an answer to how what's going on? Yeah. No, that's an answer okay, what's going yeah. on. I say that because yeah. I thought of you... Um, on TV the other night, uh, Loyola Chicago was playing Duquesne and some Uber Eats delivery guy walked out on the court looking for the person who he was delivering his food to. And I thought of you in the early days of this podcast. Hey, I mean, you got to tip that guy very, very well. I know everyone, I usually do that anyways, but if he's that dedicated to, I don't know, Duquesne security is probably not that serious, but getting out there on the court, just kind of looking around. I mean, and also who is ordering Uber Eats to the stadium? To the there's a lot of there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. This is Nicole Arbach territory, senior writer over at the Athletic. She's usually Respect. the best at finding obscure obscure fans or in this case characters around the world of sport. Because you're right, there is a question of what was ordered. Why was the food inside the arena not apparently good enough for this person? And yes, how was this person? Because for anyone that's ever been inside a sporting event, you can get pretty far acting like you belong. Like I've oh. had friends who have made it down onto the field at Notre Dame, gotten passes, did not go and order a pass, did not play for Notre Dame, did not have anything, just had the confidence in the air about them that they belonged and it managed to work out. So it is possible. Yeah, but it feels like the it's a short-lived victory. Well, 
It, yeah, it I mean, be. clearly in this case, because this isn't like that guy that snuck into the arena dressed as Clay Thompson that one time to try and go warm up with the Warriors, where eventually you were going to get caught because you were impersonating someone. This guy volunteered himself. Like, dude was standing out there on the court holding up the bag, trying to make eye contact with whoever. He had a boss. Like, that's a good reminder in this is we all got a boss, and this sure. man clearly is willing to do whatever it takes. So like you said, needs a tip and needs a raise because he's out there. It made me think, Brandon, of back in the day when we were at Notre Dame, we didn't yet have any of these like mobile app delivery services, but we had Jimmy John's. And God in mm-hmm. heaven, those dudes, when you saw – there was nothing – more exhilarating than seeing someone else's Jimmy John's guy on campus because as soon as they parked, it was a dead sprint to whatever building. They say advertise freaky fast. They lived up to it every time. Those delivery people were athletes. That's, that shit was real. I bet it stopped when they start advertising it on the commercials. You know what I mean? How, how it's hard to keep up once you, when people start demanding it up to 15 <laughs> like a, minutes. They stopped like talking a secret about menu it. Actually. Item? Yes, exactly. It's like okay, we can't we can't do this anymore. But Mike, not only Jimmy John's, Domino's started them oven baked sandwiches when we were in college, Mike, and I was all over that. Uh, what was it? A, a buffalo? There's a bacon chicken bacon ranch. There's a Philly cheesesteak, and there is a chicken parm. Well, they also Ooh. did the tracking meter that apparently oh, is yes. BS. That apparently is just designed really? to do it in a certain time limit there and is not actually GPS tracking your pizza is what I've heard. If someone wants to correct me, feel free. I'm happy to be wrong on this, but they did at least offer that innovation as a way to kill time while you're waiting for your order. And you can customize it too. The the, the heat tracker, you get a little, I like I like the rock and roll one. It's like, it's ready! I don't know if there's two I, inside. <laughs> I still think my favorite fast food amenity was back in the day when you'd go to Cold Stone Creamery and when you would tip them, they would all sing. Oh, yes. I almost forgot about that. I miss a cake shake. That was one of those things that, like you said, once it became mainstream and people were just going in there, I'm sure it was great because you're getting tipped. Now, how much remains to be seen? That's every person's choice, but you're getting tipped. The problem is singing that many times in a day after a while, unless you like, I'd imagine the one in West Hollywood probably be doing great if there was such a thing, because you've got a bunch of aspiring actors or singers over there that are probably ready to bust that out and have their moment. Like the Stardust Diner in New York City, near Times Square. Yes, exactly. Speaking, uh, by the way, Brandon, of local flavor, I figured L.A. Brandon would like to know that I survived my first earthquake. Michael. I know. Michael, when, Big time. When I saw, saw there's a 4.2 in Malibu, I said, ain't no way my boy shook that one. Ain't no way. Well, it hit at 2 a.m. That was the weird thing. Oh. So... I basically thought I dreamt it until I woke up this morning and saw everybody tweeting about Earthquake, and then I felt bad because I missed out on the Los Angelino Rite of Passage, which is tweeting about an earthquake that's going on. Oh my gosh, you gotta tweet about it. You gotta tweet about it. Well, something that, um, and this may be uh, in poor taste now, and now that we're body shaming, shaming a little bit, but my first earthquake that was overnight, I, got, I went to work at Fox the next day, and... Uh, you know, the first joke was like, Brandon, did you fall in the shower this morning? We felt the, we felt the, like, you know. I, oh, I wow. Yeah. And, yeah. And caused an earthquake. Yeah. Yeah. The fat joke. 
Um, but I love I love an earthquake uh, the earthquake tracker if you have it on your phone to, to test things out. We had one in L.A. and then we went to Alaska for our honeymoon and we felt a little three point seven out there. Um, I can't remember the town Alaska maybe, but ooh, it's, it's something about it that just feels. It felt know. like I, having I feel... the spins. It felt like when you lay down when you're drunk. That was how I felt waking up was like a little bit off balance, even on my back in a way that was uncomfortable for a second. And then I just convinced myself it was sleepy time again. So apparently I'm built different. <laughs> you've been, you were at our apartment or you've been to our apartment when we in Marina Del Rey, when Michelle and I was there, uh, she, the first big one there, she was in the shower. She said the, the shower head just start moving in front of her. Uh, roadblock our dog he started barking crazy and i just ran over to the tv because it started wobbling and i was like we can't lose this we can't lose this. <laughs> <laughs> On the big screen, wife, like, wife and dog in the apartment and you said i don't care how cheap these shits are right now i'm not losing you not today satan not today oh, uh, man. man uh we got a great show for you guys today here uh ahmad bradshaw two-time super bowl champion with the new york giants gonna join us yes. talk about his Super Bowl runs, what that's like as we get to conference championship weekend now with a bunch of players that are trying to be him. Brandon, he's got that unique experience, and uh, we could tap into it for a little bit. He was part of an awesome backfield tandem, and I know we're going to talk about all the members of that, but for you and I, since they were players playing, you know, that first Super Bowl he was a part of in 2007 was right before we got into college, and then that 2011 Super Bowl was while we were in college, and so in our formative years, watching him and Brandon Jacobs in that backfield was very memorable because before we had Derrick Henry, we had Brandon Jacobs' big ass back there. Amen. Amen to that. And he, what boy did he oh, – I mean, he did wonders for, for me uh, watching football. I remember I was working at Kroger's that first uh, – Kroger, excuse me, throwing the S on it. Um, I was working at Kroger that first Super Bowl. I got off and I was able to go to halftime. I had a party at my house. People were at my house – Friends of mine watching it, waiting for me to get there. And it was the first time I felt like Notre Damas because that was the undefeated Patriots. And I was like, there's something about that D-line for the Giants. Was that not the undefeated that, season? That, yeah, no, that was the undefeated okay, season. Yes. And those Giants teams were the ones that popularized that NASCAR package idea where you'd put yes. four DNs on the field at once, which now seems so commonplace. It's such a part of third downs in the NFL, getting lighter pass rushers on the field at every position. But back then, it was sort of, at least in modern football and in our lifetime, it was what I remember as the advent of that becoming more and more of a part of football. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess his name up. OCU... In- Osi Yuminyora, Matthias Kiwanuka, Justin Tuck, all those guys. Michael Strahan on that first. Yeah, I think Michael Strahan on the 07 team. So Uh, Chris Canty was was actually. Yeah, Chris Canty was on that team, right? I believe C two was on one of those teams. Yeah, I know he's got a Super Bowl ring. Oh man! But anyway, I mean, I should I should know that right offhand. I did a radio show with the guy for God's sake. So (laughs) that's shame on me for not. That's shame on me for not knowing your teammate, but... Well, that's why I didn't bring him up, because I was like, maybe it was another dominant uh, inside, tall, linky guy. Was it him? Nope, it was him. It was okay, him. Yeah. I, the, the problem is, again, is like it's the Super Bowls and Roman numerals. So, yeah, that was the 2011 season. Not the 07 season, but the 2011 season. Oh, okay, so, okay, okay. There you that's go. The, Jason Pierre-Paul, who had the... Who had the that was so, so cool talking about the tandem between those two, because... I just remember the torch being handed to from like uh, Michael Strahan to Justin Tuck to uh, Jason Pierre-Paul at that time. And, and 
you forget how important the Giants were to football, how how the NFC East was like the road to the Super Bowl for a long time. It's why this year felt so sort of nostalgic in that way. I think you're right. So uh, awesome interview. Very much excited about that one. Um, we uh, also, Brandon, had the NFL Honors uh, Awards finalists announced the other day here. Uh, yes. MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, all that stuff. The finalists for all those ahead of NFL Honors that comes up during the week of the Super Bowl. And I, I wanted to see, Brandon, if you had any sort of snubs or strong feelings about these groups. Some of them are obvious, and I think there's a few, especially dealing with the rookies, that kind of got people in their feelings here. MVP, the Patrick Mahomes Invitational, uh, it was... Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, and I thought, noteworthy enough, Justin Jefferson included in that conversation, named one of the five finalists for MVP. Patrick Mahomes is going to win the award. Patrick Mahomes should win the award. But Justin Jefferson getting recognition for an incredible season on a Vikings team that we clearly saw outside of him did not have a ton to offer is, I thought, pretty cool. It's cool, Mike, but uh, these NFL Honors Awards or the NFL End of the Season Awards aren't like Oscar nominations. Like you don't get, it doesn't get written under your title, uh, Most Valuable Player Nominee, uh, 2002-2003 season. Which is interesting because they do that for Walter Payton Man of the Year. Like, oh, yeah. ev- like it's a they very do. big deal. Kyle Rudolph, who was one of our great friends, was yes. the three-time Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee when he was with the Vikings. I just saw the Steelers released a really nice video about them telling Cam Hayward that he was their Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. Dope. And like you get that listed in your bio after that. That one sticks. So we should do that for the rest of this shit. I don't know why we don't. You're one of a handful. Of- it should be like being a Heisman finalist. You get that on your yeah. resume after. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, for the defensive player of the year, and we're going to go through them, but Nick Bosa for 49ers, Chris Jones for the Chiefs, and Michael Parsons, like Chris Jones should feel very accomplished to be nominated amongst that crop. Chris Jones had more sacks than Micah Parsons. That blew me away. This year? He had 15 and a half sacks this year to okay. Micah Parsons' 13 and a half. And again, no one talks about it because you're on the team where the offense is the only, and like, it's not like the defense is the number one unit in football, like the 49ers or the number one pressure unit in football, like the Dallas Cowboys are. But for Chris Jones to be that productive is insane. Well, yeah, especially they, they, they thin down with the names over there, right? Like Justin Houston was with the, uh, obviously he's older, went to the Ravens. Uh, who was the guy who was offsides, uh, Oh, yeah, that was, God, years ago that they replaced him with Frank Clark, who hasn't been nearly as productive as they've needed him to be in that time period either. But, yeah, I mean, for a guy playing three-tech, and I know we went through that weird experiment the other year where he played outside, but he finished tied for fourth in the NFL in sacks. It was Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, Hassan Reddick, and Chris Jones tied with Matt Judon from the New England Patriots. Damn. That's insane. Yeah, and and shout-out to him. So, that's... That's a good say. Okay, but how did how did you want to go through this list? Are you talking so, specifically well, about I, snubs? I mean, we can talk. No, I mean, we can talk about uh, each one because defensive, like MVP, is easy. Offensive Player of the Year to me is easy. That's the spot where we give the wide receiver some love. That should be Justin Jefferson's win. He's nominated yeah. against Tyreek Hill, Jalen Hurts, and Patrick Mahomes, and it's like, all right, Mahomes is going to win the MVP. 
Jalen Hurts is going to probably go on and win the Super Bowl this year. And Justin Jefferson, again, when we look at the differences between him and Tyreek Hill, who had a major impact on that team, did not have a Jalen Waddle next to him. Did not have yeah. nearly the help in the offense that Justin that uh, Tyreek Hill did. So that feels like Justin Jefferson's easy win there. And that feels like what we do as the MVPs increasingly become the quarterback award like the Heisman. Offensive player of the year has become the spot where we give the best running back or receiver their due. Yes, and I appreciate that. One thing that I'm looking at is that rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year, the fact that did Sauce Gardner already win rookie of the year? Uh, no, they do They do it for both sides. They do it for both sides of the ball. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there, big fella. I'm going to bring you there. Okay, okay, okay. I, th- I, thought, I thought he tweeted something celebratory about him winning it, so I thought it was already wrapped up. No, no, no. They don't announce that until the end. So none of these have been won yet necessarily. We talked about defensive player of the year. That one's interesting to me because for so long that felt like Micah Parsons award to lose just because of them moving him around all over the place, how impactful that Cowboys defense was. But Nick Bosa having 18 and a half sacks on the number one defense in football. Like I don't want to make it too much like the Heisman, but you know, in, in, God, you could make the argument he's not even the best player on that defense looking at Fred Warner and what he's able to Ooh. do, but an incredibly impactful player on a team where outside of him, not a lot of those guys are racking up sack numbers. It's not like the Eagles where you're four deep in double-digit sack guys you have to worry about. So it, it's a pretty impressive performance from who was the other Bosa brother for a while. So I'd imagine, I'd imagine some of the Cowboys effect might take hold. I feel like Micah Parsons could win that award. Especially everyone looking at just how versatile he was on the defense uh, and and showing up a lot, but we love we love sacks. As as Justin Tuck told us before the uh, spring game, sacks get stacks, and uh, sacks also win awards. And I, I think Nick Nick Bosa deserves it in a real way. It's so hard to get a clean solo sack. And I feel like he's really, really good at it because a lot of people are getting home at the same time, uh, getting home meaning getting to the quarterback uh, at, at the same time. And you have to split up those half sacks, which sucks so bad. I talked about it on this podcast before. But Nick Bosa seems like the guy that's just like clearly dominating in a specific way, but it doesn't look as finesse as we're used to seeing like the Von Millers or some of the other people that have won this award in the past. But I think I like it more because of that. Well, yeah, I mean, with him, it's it's so straight line. Like, you look even in the stance, he's basically in a track stance down yeah. there. There's times where I wonder how he even gets out of that comfortably. So, it's pretty insane. Like, when you look at the impact that both of them have, the one the part that's interesting to your point about half sacks and shares and things like that, with a pass rusher, um, True Media has this really cool um, statistic where they measure the number of first pressures by a defender. So how mm. often are you the first guy? We see plenty of those sacks where someone gets upfield and spills a guy to the rest of the guys right. coming along there, and you would obviously appreciate as much as anybody that first guy that gets upfield, that causes the quarterback to step up. There's a ton of value in that. Micah Parsons led the NFL in that with 74 Ooh. first pressures this season. And I believe also um, led the NFL, or no, was third in the NFL in percentage of his rushes where he was the first pressure. So really impressive stuff for him as far as being the tip of the spear on that defense, being the guy, and both of them. Again, 
I'd be perfectly comfortable with either one of these guys winning. Like, I don't, I know this isn't sexy. I don't have a super strong opinion about that one. I think either of those guys is very deserving, and both will be in the defensive player of the comp year conversation next year and probably in perpetuity right. during the prime of their career. Um, yeah, that, that's my issue with that. Is just that I feel like maybe they're, they're going to snub someone because they feel like they're going to get there again. Comeback player of the year is the one that's interesting to me and that I do kind of feel interesting about. Um, the three finalists for this one were Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, and Geno Smith. And Geno Smith's probably going to win this. Like, Christian was actually hurt last year. Christian got put on IR after week 12. Oh, he was yeah. put on he was put on IR twice last year with, I believe, ankle and hamstring injuries. And for McCaffrey, this is almost like two years in the making. He missed 13 games in uh, 2020. And then missed, uh, went on IR twice in 2021. So this is like a two-year reclamation project for Christian, who also got traded in the middle of the year. And then you throw Saquon on top of that, who, real comeback player of the year material, fourth in the NFL in rushing yards this year, coming off of injury also. The Geno Smith one's complicated for me, because while in the rules for this award, it says it doesn't just have to be injury. It can be coming back from you know poor performance or like him mm-hmm. being a backup during that time. It feels like, again, he's going to win this because of the story. I think Saquon Barkley should win this award. Comeback player of the year to me is someone overcoming what they did injury-wise, and especially at that position, I would feel inclined to give it to him because he was the guy for their team this year. He was what we talked about, the engine that made it go. Daniel Jones was great, but that was a rush-first offense, and Saquon Barkley was the reason that they were able to be so successful, end up winning a wild-card playoff game this year. I'd have a hard time not giving it to him. I hear you, Mike, but I just feel like Geno Smith is the winner here because it's obviously no no injury, but obviously he didn't write back, but a lot of people wrote him, wrote him off, and rightfully so. And I think that the surprise of after trading Russell Wilson, and I know you, you mentioned the narrative, but after trading Russell Wilson, seeing Pete Carroll choose him, and then him going out there and setting the franchise record for for. For uh, passing yards, or pa- I think oh, it's it, a great, now, it's a great about, story. Yeah, you can talk about the supporting cast, and obviously someone else is nominated who was in that backfield with him, which helped him, you know, be able to uh, play quarterback as effectively as he was able to, Mike. And I obviously we're sensitive about giving all these awards to quarterbacks, but I I, I like Geno there as a comeback player, and I think he deserves it. Yeah, he deserves recognition in some form. Like, I get it. That's what this feels like is, man, what you just described was so special. But, like, I look at him being on there in the face of someone like Chris Godwin, who tore his ACL in December of last year and then had his career best in receptions this year, had 104 catches for over 1,000 yards in a season where he had ACL surgery in January. That's insane from a physical standpoint in that offense. And again, sure. when you tack all the winning onto it, the team did make the playoffs, lost in the wild card round, but it just feels like Chris Godwin really got jobbed there, especially because, again, I know it doesn't have to be an injury award, but it does feel to me like one where that should be acknowledged, especially in the physical nature of this sport. So, um, Brandon, coach of the year. This one also seems like it has a really obvious winner to me. The top three uh, finalists for this one, Kyle Shanahan, Doug Peterson, and Brian Dable. And this feels like Brian Dable's award going away. Wait a minute. Doug Peterson's in there. Yeah, Doug Peterson, the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were bad last year and then made the playoffs this year. 
Yeah, I'm saying pound for pound. Aside from him being a big guy, he's got to be the winner there. I, I think I think he's coach of the year. I mean, I look at both of those teams who made it equally as far in their runs. Both managed to win a playoff game and advance on another round. Here, Brian Dable did more with less. Like, if you're Doug Peterson, that franchise spent money this offseason bringing people over. They threw the bag at skill players to try and make that happen. You had more under the hood there. We talked about it with the Giants. You had a linebacker core, most of whom wasn't on the, the team at the start of the season, starting for you in the postseason game. Your wide receiver core was throwing to guys like Richie James, who, God love him, has made himself a future in this league, but wasn't expected to be your answer when you started the season. So he made a lot out of very little in this year and got us to a point now where Daniel Jones Saquon Barkley through this offense and through their own work, not discrediting the player at all. But Brian Dable, I think, managed to really MacGyver the hell out of the situation in New York. Now, now that you uh, are laid it out, one thing I am forgetting is that this is his first year versus yeah. Doug Peter- Peterson being a Super Bowl winning head coach right. and, and someone who played in the NFL. Like I, I do think there is something about that that first strike of lightning and what Brian Dayball has been able to do. Obviously it's uh, great that we have a, a giant, a former giants alum on the podcast today to talk about Brian Dayball. But I, yeah, what he's doing is, is seems special and also seems like it, there's some stability to it. The one name that I would have thought maybe deserves some credit there too was Mike McDaniel. I thought he navigated oh, that absolutely. team through a lot this season for everything. We give Kyle Shanahan for the injuries at quarterback, which he deserves that, like if you can look for a silver lining in it is there was no going back when the prior quarterback got injured. So much of this year with the Dolphins was will they, won't they with Tua's status with concussions, Teddy Bridgewater being banged up. You were three quarterbacks deep and constantly wondering, were you going to get the other one back? It was never really settled. And so I think the stress that that puts on you when you're planning as a staff is a lot different than the Kyle, again, what Kyle Shanahan's done is insane. They're such a good team starting Mr. Irrelevant at quarterback. I'm just I'm splitting hairs here. I, I think Kyle deserves what he got here. I'm just making the argument Mike McDaniel could have been considered. I think Kyle deserves to be up here because this is a team that could very realistically play in the Super Bowl, and they're on their third quarterback of the season. So, um, Offensive Rookie of the Year. So these are the ones that I think get interesting, Brandon. Offensive Rookie of the Year and Defensive Rookie of the Year. O'Roy ended with the finalists of Brock Purdy, Kenneth Walker III, and Garrett Wilson. And I saw a lot of Jets fans up in arms saying, hey, if you can have Brock Purdy in there after eight starts or whatever it's been for him here, how Brees Hall's not getting consideration after seven starts. Brees, Brees Hall ended up the leading rusher of the Jets this year, and he was out after week seven. Like, that's wild. Yeah, yeah, okay. Brees Hall averaged 5.8 yards per carry on 80 carries and added over 200 yards receiving this year. He was, if he had stayed healthy, I think he would have ran away and hid with this. Kenneth Walker was phenomenal. Went over a grand this year, led rookies in rushing yards. Garrett Wilson was incredible. Led all rookies with 1,103 passing yards. Like, you're going to have a heart. Like, I don't think Brock Purdy will win over either of those two. I think Brock Purdy is getting love here, obviously, for the story and deserves it, but man, it's hard to look away from Kenneth Walker and Garrett Wilson. If you made me split hairs, I might go with Garrett Wilson on this one. Again, quarterback upheaval around him, being able to survive multiple guys going through there. Really a difference maker on that side of the ball once Brees Hall went out too. So Garrett Wilson, probably then Kenneth Walker, and then Brock Purdy in third for me. 
I, I like Kenneth Walker uh, at the top spot there just because outside of Brees Hall. Because, oh, my God, it's egregious. Uh, but I like Kenneth Walker there because he brought some stability to the running back position for the Seahawks that hadn't been there since Marshawn Lynch. Like, honestly, like they, they I, have struggled. They were like the Detroit Lions in how they struggled to have a over 100-yard rusher game in, week in and week out. Well, and, I mean, you look at the Seahawks, like they really went with the – if you're going through hell, just keep on going because they were just year after year drafting running backs in the top three rounds until something hit. And they finally got to this spot with Kenneth Walker III, who famously helped get Mel Tucker paid at Michigan State and now seems to be doing more of the same here in Seattle. Because as the year went along and some of the pass protection waned a little bit and the passing offense was a little less fl- high flying, Kenneth mm-hmm. Walker was there just toting the shit out of that thing. So, yeah, uh, really convincing argument for him. On the other side, I mean, there's a realistic possibility the Jets sweep this on both sides of the ball. Sauce Gardner, Aiden Hutchinson, and Tariq Woolen. And Tariq was awesome, like another guy. I mean, really, you could have the Seahawks or the Jets sweep the Offensive Rookies of the Year awards. And both would be incredibly deserving. If you put it to my head, I would probably go Sauce. Uh, again, just stepping in and immediately the impact that you saw on Cincinnati, there was really, and that's a difference of expectations too, right? Where they took Tariq Woolen for the uh, Seahawks much later in the draft for him to jump on the way that he did tie the NFL lead with six interceptions this year was incredible. All that length and strength wasn't who he was in college. Sauce is exactly who he was in college. Pulled it off exactly like people would have expected there. And so I'd probably side with him. This is a really impressive rookie defensive back class. I mean, Derek Stingley Jr. in Houston, also another guy from that class. Um, Kyle yeah, Hamilton at the safety position in Baltimore. Um, Kobe Bryant, the other guy at Cincinnati. I thought yeah. he had a pretty good season with the, with the Seahawks. But I agree... Tyreek, the splash plays that Will, uh, Will Woolen, 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 Woolen was able to make were impressive, as well as uh, Aiden Hutchinson. Like the splash plays that they needed at those times for the for the Lions, and obviously him going hometown, all the story. He is was really really good. Sauce Gardner is like Revis Island all over again. It's it's very. I, his impact is. It's just so big. It's just it's, like you can't erase it. The reason I say it's what it was at Cincinnati because there were legitimately games where quarterbacks wouldn't even look at his side. His Kobe Bryant ended up winning the Thorpe Award because people just didn't throw at Sauce. They gave the like Kobe Bryant's a great player. Sauce Gardner was the best defensive back in college football last year. And if you ask yeah. any coach that played that team, that's the answer they would have given to you. So he's already done a lot of that in the NFL. Um, assistant coach of the year, I think is a really, really interesting yes. race, Brandon. Like two, this, two man race, two man race. Well, listen, opinion. let's give some credit to Shane Steichen, the job that he did as a part of this Eagles offense that set about a million records this year for True. you know receiving records from AJ Brown rushing record or Miles uh uh Miles, Miles Sanders Sanders going over a thousand yards this year it's one of the most prolific offenses in franchise history so Shane Steichen deserves some credit that being said it's going to be a two-man race between Ben Johnson the Lions O coordinator and D'Amico Ryans the defensive coordinator for the 49ers and honestly Brandon I think Ben Johnson should win I agree I, I, as much as I'm a defensive part of, uh, side of the ball guy, I think obviously D'Amico Ryan's is going to be the you know he's going to get a head coaching job before him, before 
Yeah, because it's the whole working with less thing, in my opinion. Not that the Lions weren't less because of the, one of the best offensive lines in football, but talk about comeback player of the year. Jared Goff, if Geno Smith is in the consideration, Jared Goff had put a season together to be in the consideration. And just the inventive – like, I didn't see any, like – Oh my gosh! I've never seen anything that before from the 49ers. Just like good defensive play and, and hard nose, you know, people a bunch of Troy Palmalu's looking like out, out there. Ben Johnson had some stuff together that was like this guy opened up Madden and then started like making the plays from scratch. Like it was some stuff that I've never seen before, and it was so fun to watch the entire year. The Lions were a top five offense in the NFL. We knew with the guys on the 49ers defense that this was possible. And D'Amico's still been incredible, right? All the good things people were saying about D'Amico Ryans deserved. But yes, it is that Ben Johnson theory that, all right, you had Jared Goff, who was a cast-off at quarterback, who's been very good, but still had to get him in that right situation. Jamal Williams having the season that he did, the amount of ru- leading the NFL in rushing touchdowns. Amon Ross St. Brown is a breakout player. Trading TJ Hawkinson in the middle of the season and not missing a beat. Like, all of these things stacked up and having the defense on the other side be at times as much of a liability as it was to carry the load. Now, mm. home road splits were a little bit different for them, obviously being away from the dome, but I, I think Ben Johnson should win this award. I think D'Amico Ryans probably will, but both very deserving. I just think Ben Johnson, with what we talked about, might just edge it out a little bit because of the rest of the circumstances we talked about. Jamal Williams breaking Barry Sanders' record for touchdowns for the Lions this year when they were had a a dual running back uh, backfield at the beginning of the season it was it was mainly it was mainly swift i, I thought the oh, majority yeah. of the it's, it's, it's half supposed the to be deandre swift in that backfield based on talent where they drafted him so yeah it, it was incredible and what a coup for the lions that ben johnson said no i'm sticking around here for another year we're building something and i want to be a part of this that will probably not be the case for the San Francisco 49ers and D'Amico Ryans. I'm sure someone's going to pry him out of there. Those are the NFL Award finalists here at Gojo Show on Twitter. If you think we got any of them wrong, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk to two-time Super Bowl champion Ahmad Bradshaw. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice-cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there and you get to that little clubhouse there and they've always got the candy bar options. And I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York.
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, very excited as we continue our march to Super Bowl 57 to bring on someone who knows a little thing about winning Super Bowls here, two-time Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants, Ahmad Bradshaw, joining the podcast today. Ahmad, uh, I want everyone to know, too, Coughlin time still very much in effect. Brandon and I logged on and right five minutes before we were supposed to start, ready and waiting here. So the brand is very strong. Oh, man, it's staying strong, man. Uh, you know, it, it sticks with you, man. It, it lasts a lifetime, and I think it helps, Helps, uh, I guess, all, all the players that played under Coughlin, uh, you know, later in life. So it helps, man. Well, there's nothing like that uh, pre-meeting fodder, too, with your brothers. So we got a little <laughs> bit of that in, too. Uh, no doubt, man. Definitely. Did you uh, – it did, did that used to be that, like, sinking feeling of dread? Because, you know, for you, being drafted there, you come in and you know right away that's the first thing you're indoctrinated to in the NFL. When you started to see other rookies or free agents come into the building and you saw that getting up against that time, did you start to kind of get that anxiety for them? Uh, you know what? I, I, got, I was probably that rookie that was that was late a few times, man, and, and you know, I – I paid the fines and 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 it, and it wakes you up. <laughs> it wakes you up quick. Soon, soon as you're you know you get into the league and you start getting those little checks as rookies, man. It's you know they start they start evaporating quick, man. So you got to wake up and and you know it helped, man. It really did. It made, like I say, it, it makes you a better person, better player. Uh, being on time, being early, you know it 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 made me a better person, definitely. Well, and to get to see the effects of that right away for you, like everyone who's now playing in this round this weekend, there's a lot of players going through this for the first time. There's some guys that have had to wait their entire careers. What was it like for you coming right in as a rookie and all of a sudden you're thrown into this Super Bowl run and end up dethroning one of the greatest teams of all time? You know what, man? I, I came out of college early and it was just a decision I had to make family-wise and, and – uh you know, it was it was the best decision I ever made in my life. Uh, you know, um, but yeah, now nah, these you know the, the, you know, these guys don't know just exactly how blessed they are. I was I was blessed in that situation to to have great teammates, uh, to have to to have great coaches, uh, you know, to gr have a great organization in the Giants, man. Uh, that just you know just welcomed me, welcomed all of our rookies and. And honestly, our rookie class was just tremendous, man. We all had 
a piece of, of the winnings. We are, we are, we're a part of the team that year, um, in, in big ways. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, like I say, I, you know, I was blessed to just be a part of all that, man. Uh, you know, it, it was just a perfect situation for me. And, 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 uh, like I say, I've, I've been blessed ever since just to, just to know the guys that I played with and, and to be, be as successful as, as we was. How much did you learn then from the first one to the second one? Because you come in and as a rookie, you don't know anything else. You immediately go on this Super Bowl run. So how much did you learn from Super Bowl first time around to the second time around? Uh, man, I learned a lot. Um, you know, I, I set, you know, I set that whole year of, my, of the first Super Bowl and until maybe the 14th game of the season and, and Derek Ward went down, uh, and, you know, it was just an opportunity I had to take advantage of. Um, you know, I tell a lot of kids now, take advantage of every opportunity, man. Uh, and, and, you know, that's what I've been able to do all my life is just take advantage of, of those things. Uh, Derek Ward, he, he was a great running back. Brandon was a great running back. And, and I, I didn't know what situation I was in. I was just trying to make the team. Special teams, I was running down as a, as a R5. You know, I was in the middle of the, you know, right beside the kicker running down between all the trenches, like just just ready, man. And and I played I played safety in high school, so that kind of like engraved like the you know that mentality to where I you know I didn't care about contact. I didn't you know as a running back I didn't care about anything. You know I I played I had a defensive mind of like in that sense. So uh, you know I you know it just it just helped you know further further my game. Um, you know so from you know between those years uh with with like i say brandon jacobs and d ward you know as teachers we had to even had ruben drones as you know as, as a as a back you know who uh who backed them up before i came on and uh you know i mean just just a lot of help uh you know brandon brandon i think we uh we came into training camp and, and brandon told me he's like you sing one time and you don't have to sing anymore and and you know, I was like, "All right." I got up. I was the first one to sing. <laughs> I was the Wait, first one to sing, and I, sang, I never sang again. Everybody else sang the whole training camp. You know, what did you sing? Was, uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I believe I can fly or something. Something I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> just something thing, quick. Though. I got it over with, and 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 hey, once I knew I had B. Jacob behind me, I didn't care what they said. You know. <laughs> He's been, yeah, my, no. he's been my big brother since, you know. So I'd imagine when that guy says something, people oh, listen. Yeah. Like everyone oh, talks yeah. about Derrick Henry and his size as a running back. Now walking no into problem. that running back room and seeing that mountain of a man had to be, yeah. in its own way, like a real welcome to the NFL moment. Yeah, nah, he's yeah, he yeah, he's just a huge human being. He still is, man. He's when he talked when he came in and said that. I you know I promise you, I jumped in front of everybody on the whole team. Uh, you know, and, and let them have it. And I sat down and I never sang again. And, and I felt protected that whole time. And we, you know, we took care of each other from, from, from then on. We still do. So, you know, it's a blessing to have him and, and, and to, to have him then and, and even now. So, Well, he said that uh, during the second Super Bowl run, both of you were kind of the vocal leaders on that team. How did you oh, yeah. step up, like following his footsteps? How, what, what what pushed you to kind of open your mouth and start, you know, uh, leading the troops? Uh, just became that way. I, I you know, I, I really like to speak with my play. I really don't like to talk, you know, too much. And and you know, I just be, became that guy. Uh, we didn't have, you know, Eli wasn't a very very vocal person to, 
you know, get the team hyped. And I was, you know, the one yelling, you know, screaming DMX around in the locker room. And, and I just became, you know, <laughs> just became that guy, you know, a straight hand left, uh, you know, and just wasn't really wasn't nobody that, you know, that could get the team going and fired up and ready to, you know, just punch somebody in the mouth. So, you know, and that, and that was my job. I can hear the little bit of gravel in the voice there. I feel like there is there is some of that X that's ready oh, to go there, there for sure. Oh, it's there, man. That's my guy. <laughs> oh, it's and you talked about stepping up, having to get into that leadership role there. As you look around now and see all these teams going through this Super Bowl run, and and for those of us that never approached anything like that, never got to go on that kind of run, what is the most difficult part once you get into the postseason about? whether it's maintaining that focus or what you've got to do physically to actually get through a Super Bowl run that most people never know? Uh, just just staying within your team, man. Uh, at that point, you got there, you know, with just the guys that you got there with and, uh, you know, just, just just doing what you've done best all year long. And, and, and you know, like I say, you're, the coaches are so great nowadays. And, and even when I played, our coaches are so great to have us prepared, man. Uh, you know, we had – great game plans all playoffs through you know through thick and thin like we we could rely on our coaches and we I mean of course you know Eli led us down and 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 did so much for us in in those situations because he's just a gamer he's that type of person and you know nobody can ever say he's not a a hall of famer because he's a winner you know what I'm saying and 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 that's what he did I mean you can look at his you know his two-minute drills you know in, in in certain situations and I don't see anybody better so it's you know it's you know it's I, you know I, I haven't seen it since but you know it's it's uh it's just tough just standing in like I say standing these teams have to stay in, into what they they do best man and uh, you know it's it's a whole different league now you know you play a whole lot of different teams now that you haven't played and and like I say you got to do whatever you do best you know better than you've done it so you you mentioned Eli Manning. Have you been surprised, knowing, like you said, wasn't a super vocal leader, knowing the kind of guy Eli was, to see him now doing the Manning cast, doing all these commercials and stuff? That's him, man. It's Eli. I mean, he's he's been pranking and joking and doing stuff to people for a long time. <laughs> Did he ever get you? Uh, nah, nah, I can't say. He, he knew I had his back through thick and thin. He he knew I was one of his last, you know, line of defenses back there to, to take that blow off of him. And, you know, I wasn't like, you know, number one run, blocking running back in, in the league when most of the time when I started for a reason. So, like, I, I died for Eli. Like, I, I gave everything to protect him. And, and I took, you know, I, I, I held accountability on myself for that. There you go. So that's how you insulate yourself from the pranks is you make sure you're one of the guys that has it's like, listen, you see me out there meeting those backers in the hole. You don't want to go and make an enemy out of me. Yeah, he's he's not gonna prank those the guys that, that protect him. And the guys that protect him, he has those big guys. He had those our big linemen and they protected him more than I did. So I I wouldn't do if I did something to him, then it, you know, I'd have to deal with five other guys. So it it, it, it wasn't <laughs> like that. He he took care of those guys too. So <laughs> probably uh, was a lot better than me. <laughs> there's always there's always a good line of defense around the uh, around the quarterback there. I said it's like the goalie in hockey, but um Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I, I do want to ask, too, because I saw a while back you were on another podcast, and one of your Super Bowl rings actually broke. So first yep. off, 
is that fixed? And second off, like how often do those make it into rotation? How often does one wear a Super Bowl ring, especially when they've got two? Honestly, yeah, that was my excuse for a long time because I had to. Everybody's like, where's the Super Bowl ring? And I'm like, uh, I got two of them. It's hard to hold, you know. And, uh, you know, honestly, uh, I just started wearing them like two months ago. And and just to stay relevant, you know, I, got, I mean, nobody remembers Ahmad Bradshaw anymore, <laughs> you know. So, now I keep them on just, to, you know, just for the fans. They come see me and they like to see the rings. Now they ask for them a lot. So, I'm like, you know, I'll start wearing the rings. And honestly, uh, yeah, the, the the ring has two two pieces to it. It fell off out of nowhere. I barely wear the ring, so I don't know how it fell off. So now Tiffany has Tiffany's have the rings, the, or has my the the 2011 ring, and they're charging me like fifteen hundred just to get it fixed. So I'm like, I was uh, just gonna ask if this was like when you have like one of those platinum level credit cards where there's like a special number you get to call and a special service for the Super Bowl ring. Like I figure yeah, you guys yeah, have you your own think. wing in Tiffany's. No, you would think, man. You would really think, but uh, yeah. No, I mean I. I probably wouldn't have went through the through all the hassle to get it fixed. So my mom was like, I'm getting it fixed for you. So she does everything to go through just to get it to Tiffany's. And uh yeah, now they send us a bill back. So yeah, we're we're getting it done now and, and uh hopefully I'll have it back soon. There you go. Well, the Super Bowl rings are obviously what everyone thinks of as the memorabilia from those games. But yeah. for you, you were also part of a really interesting Super Bowl touchdown where you're down by the goal line. You know, you obviously you knew everyone watching that game. It was in a spot where the Patriots were trying to let you guys score, and you could see you kind of hold up on the goal line and end up falling into the end zone. Now you knew you weren't supposed to score there, but momentum, all those things happen. Did you keep that ball? Like, is that still proudly displayed somewhere, even though you weren't supposed to score on that play? I still have that ball, that jersey. I have everything just with that, you know, just with that whole picture, man. I kept everything. But, uh, yeah, no, nah, that was that was a crazy touchdown. Um, you know, I got, I got the ball. Eli handed me the ball, and he said, don't score, don't score, man. And at that moment, we hadn't talked about it in the end zone we, or in the huddle or anything. We just, you know, we called a play. He came back to the huddle, called a play, and I, I paid no attention to the to the, to the the time, I mean, because we usually talk about what, you know, the situation. And as I'm scoring, I see everybody running away from me. I'm like, oh. <laughs> By the time I get to the one-yard line, it clicks. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm supposed to go down. So I... I, I try to go down, declare down. You can tap the gr- da- tap the ground and declare down. And as I'm tapping, man, I'm just I'm, I'm falling back into the end zone, and my momentum, everything took me into the end zone. At that moment, I was in, still in between. I was, you know, I've never been told not to score. So, uh, in that situation, you know, I, you know, you just you just have to you have to just go ahead and do it. <laughs> so you know what the best part about that though is now that all the time has passed here oh, yeah. it's just oh. you scored a touchdown in the super bowl so it just right. gets to be the cool thing right now and you don't got to worry like was he supposed to score or was he not you scored in the super bowl and that's all that matters so, yeah a lot of people a lot of people ask me i'm, I'm so glad a lot of people tell me i'm so glad you stopped at the one I'm like yeah <laughs> i'm glad you're glad <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of a lot of those incidents in, in the league now that you know it's a good thing you know it's it's a learning tape. Well, it probably boosted your awareness in Madden a, a little bit too. So you know, 
that's possible. Hey, you just you just never know. Uh, you know, it could have been a shank kick, uh, you know, fumble, field goal, you know, any anything. You know, you never know what could have happened after that. So we'll take the points and we'll take the win. You know, there's a chance that they had a chance to go down the field and or uh, Tom Brady had the chance to go down the field and score, and, and he didn't do it. I felt like we had a great defense as well, and that gave me a little bit more – or uh, gave me a little momentum to keep going and get the game-winning touchdown for that, that Super Bowl. You mentioned who you were playing in those, and, and for it to be Tom Brady and the Patriots, and in 07 especially, to be a team that's on the precipice of being undefeated, like – what was yep. the message for you guys, that conversation about that matchup going into that week? Uh, you know what? We had played those guys, you know, that was like the, the third time. We, I guess we played them in uh, preseason, and then we played them the uh, last game of the – or maybe the 15th game of the season that year. Um, and I didn't play that year. Or I didn't play that, sec that second game uh, during the season. And, you know, I just felt like I was always, you know, a difference maker. So I felt like we were going to win regardless. No, nobody, I don't, I don't really think we had a, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a message going into this game to where we, we never thought we were out of it. So like, we felt like we could beat anybody at that point. Um, and, and, you know, and yeah, we, we, it wasn't even about, you know, the message that we got. We just knew how good we was. I mean, doing getting ready to, to interview you, we, we were watching YouTube videos and that you Brandon Jacobs and you talk about how you subbed yourself in for each other during that oh, yeah. during that run. Like, I, I, as a former yeah. nose guard, I loved watching Brandon Jacobs run. Obviously, the, the, the biggest running back ever just doing his thing. But how Me did too. you guys manage to, to uh, balance that out oh. all season long? You know, we loved each other, man. No, no, no pause but we were we we just you know we we were just like that man we wanted to see each other succeed we wanted to see each other you know i wanted to see him run the ball he wanted to see me we wanted to see what we could do you know you know together you know uh you know against each team and and that was like that was our challenge like you know it wasn't even about how many yards he had how many yards i had each game like we wanted to both have, you know, uh, we wanted to both have success. Even when the first Super Bowl, Derek Ward, we wanted to all have success. Even the year after, we were demolishing people and, and until the incident at the end of the year. And and we, you know, we, yeah, we felt like we were we could have won a second win that year. You know what I'm saying? Just just the way we were playing, and and we were on a path for it. Uh, you know, just with the earth, wind, and fire with Derek Ward, Brandon Jacobs, and I. And then, you know, when, when D Ward, you know, and, and, you know, he ended up in Tampa Bay and it was me and Brandon, it was just the same way. You know, we decided we, you know, of course we we're going to split, but when they when I see him tired, you know, I go get him. When he sees me tired, he comes and gets me or, you know, we'll come out and, you know, we know each other. We watching each other if we need a break and, you know, we just sub each other in, man. It was different. And I, I don't see many people, you know, doing that nowadays or even, you know, even then I didn't. But, you know, just that relationship that, you know, we all three had at first and then, you know, it grew into just me and him left and, and us doing it. And, you know, it's, it just helped us tremendously. And it's cool that both of you guys understood each other's strengths and your weaknesses and all those things well enough to be able to do that. 
I do want to, with that in mind, look at the team from this year because I think for a lot of Giants fans, there was so much renewed energy around the team this year with what Brian Dable and company were able to do, and so much of that did start at running back. So Saquon Barkley looks like a comeback player of the year candidate. When you watch him now in a Giants uniform, what stands out about him as a running back? Uh, Just as his – well, for me, his explosiveness – uh, his power is his his lower body power. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that's how I felt like I ran. I felt like, you know, as a running back, that's what I, you know, that's just the things I like about, you know, uh, certain running backs. But uh, his, that stands out more than, you know, anybody else I see with his size and, and everything coming with it. But uh, he, you know, he's he's getting a lot smarter. I see that as well. Um, you know, it takes a while to, to you know, not be, to, to learn how to, just, just to learn the game, in a sense, it takes a couple years, and and the game slows down for for you even even more and more as you go. Um, and uh, you know, I can definitely see that see that happening for him. And he's he's learning the game a whole lot better, and and, and you, you you just learn it that way. And all the talent that you've got with him there, that certainly stands out. What about his quarterback? Because for all the comparisons that Daniel Jones gets with your former teammate and Eli Manning, I don't know if you ever saw Eli take off and break twenty miles per hour on the uh, on the measurement there for speed down the stretch here. How impressed were you by Daniel Jones this season? I wasn't. I felt like I I knew that about Daniel Jones, man. I I was excited for Daniel Jones. I you know I told everybody everybody to ask. I, you know I I love his feet. I love it. You know you're not gonna get anybody else with 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 the with the feet he has and, and and the way he plays the game, you're not gonna get too many people like that. And uh, you know, you can't just throw him in there and, and you know, you're not gonna find anybody from college. You're not gonna you're not gonna, you know, get another person from another team. So at that point, you know, I I you know, I just I just really had a lot of confidence in him and, and he yeah, he he did that and more this year for me, honestly. But I I had a lot of high hopes for him anyway. Do you uh do you want to see him and Saquon both back in a Giants uniform next year? I would like to see both of them back. Um, you know, I'd like to get a lot of help with them for them, but uh, definitely I'd love to see both of them back. I think both of them are tremendous talents. Um, I just know how the game goes, man. It's, it's, it's a tough game every which way. I've been in I've been in that situation, uh, you know, and having to leave the Giants and go to the Colts, and you know, it's just you know it's a business aspect, but. Uh, for all parties, I you know I feel like you know they'll be fine either way. Well, obviously with the first hit, first season for head coach Brian Dayball, and you had a lot of experience talking about playing for Tom Coughlin and making sure he gets respect, and you don't really see that too much or hear about that too much from NFL players now, except for in that Giants locker room. And I, I thought one of the things that I was so impressed with as a fan is just to see how much guys loved him. Like, what were you impressed with seeing Brian Dayball in his first year? Um, just that, man, the guy's playing for him. Um, that's just, you know, when I came in Coughlin, they were talking about Coughlin getting, you know, getting written out. Um, uh, and you know, that's, we just locked in for Coughlin, man. We locked in, we, we, we loved him. Everybody loved him. I, you know, I didn't see, see that happening. And when we won, you know, uh, you know, how the, all that shut up and, and, just like, you know, he's winning now and they, you know, they can't really say much about Dayball. He he has these guys playing for him and the guys he has this year, you know, you can tell that they, you know, they enjoyed him. Um, 
and I think it, you know, it speaks it speaks volumes just, you know, for for a lot of coaches. And when 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 your players speak up for you, and like I say, it happened to Coughlin my rookie year, and then four years later when we won the second Super Bowl, they were writing them off again, you know. And you know, it's 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 tough to be a coach in the NFL. I I, I know how tough it is, but when you're winning and 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 you you know you're making you're making you know people open their eyes, and and especially in New York with. You know, all the all the eyes on you. You know, it's it's just tough. So, you know, I'm I'm excited for Dayball and, and you know what he brings to the table in all all aspects. So I like we had dribbles. I like his going for twos. I like you know I like all that man. So speaking of stuff to like about him, we had uh, Julian Love, the safety for the Giants, on the podcast earlier this year, and he yeah. said that Brian Dayball, we always see him, big cigar guy, and he said he'd FaceTime those guys all the time, and he said he FaceTimed him from a jacuzzi with a cigar in his mouth. Did Tom Coughlin ever, like, give you guys a call? I know there wasn't FaceTime back then when Tom was – but could you have pictured him yeah. calling you guys from a jacuzzi, cigar in his mouth, yeah. just going away? <laughs> No, not Tom, man. He, he, we've definitely seen him in that office a few times, man. But he, he'll call you to that office quick. But <laughs> he ain't gonna call you, and, and we ain't have that Facetime stuff now. Then days, so yeah, he, he didn't know how to work that, anyways. <laughs> yeah, couldn't imagine trying to facilitate that, let alone the image of him in a hot tub with a cigar now, which is going to be seared into all our brains. So I'm sorry for doing that to you. That's awesome. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Ahmad, we really appreciate the time, man. This is awesome to kind of look back down memory lane as we get ready for a bunch of guys to try and punch their chick- ticket to where you have been twice. So thank you so much. We look thank forward you, to your ring coming back and being all fixed and whole and ready to go for you to rock again. I hope so, man. Thank you, guys. Man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Brandon. Do you know what time it is? I do, Mike. And there's just, you know, something about you. Makes me want to sing this to you. Your fine self. Wearing that Eminem shirt. Beautiful. I just want you to know. Oh, there's something about you. Beautiful. I just want you to know you're my favorite girl. See, I just want you to know this, that, and the third. Oh, I, I just want you to know this, that, and the third. Oh, I, You gotta drop the beat and then hit the acapella part. I just wanna oh. you 
to okay, know okay. that you okay. are real. Really That's true. Special. That's part of it. Okay. Oh, I, oh, I, oh, I, oh, I, I just wanna you to know that you are really special. That song is yeah, a national yeah, treasure. Yeah, yeah. Oh. That song is a national treasure. So, I mean, Snoop Dogg knew it. Snoop Dogg knew it as soon as he came on. He said, I, I, the lyrics is, uh, I know you're going to lose it. This new Snoop shit. Come on, baby boo. You got to get into it. Someone said, we never got a Pharrell versus battle, right? Because it would have been a bloodbath. Uh, yeah. he I, Now, that's funny you mention it. And it's funny you mentioned it on this podcast with Ahmad Bradshaw being uh, from Virginia. Mm. The Pharrell Timberland. Yeah. So like there's and I and there's that there's that chicken and egg thing not chicken and egg because Timberland came first but Pharrell says there's no Timberland without him or there's no there's no Pharrell without, without Timberland, Timberland. Yeah. and that ironically was Swiss Beats and Timberland that started the whole versus battle and, and at the very very beginning so yeah. everyone's kind of thinking about Pharrell I would actually like a Pharrell versus Drake since everybody saying Drake can't can't go go up against anybody versus the Beatles uh, other than the Beatles but man Star Trek. I mean, uh, for real, I'm going to tell you something. I heard something on the podcast, shameless plug for podcast. Well, Pharrell was one of the only producers who would make a beat for an artist. Then he would either rap or sing the words that he wants them to rap or sing and send it to them to see if they're interested or not. And he kept trying to get Prince to do a song because he was always trying to create songs for Prince and a lot of those Prince throwaways became Beyonce songs and other people's songs and then finally the last Prince song he sent to him he said F it I'm going to do it myself and it was fronting wow that he did with Jay-Z and that yeah. that was a huge hit for Pharrell so man well if you thought this is a huge hit for Brandon Newman make sure you download subscribe rate and review Gojo wherever you get them <laughs> leave us a five star rating tell him what a great job he did Brandon, someone who will not be trying to send help anyone's way is Roy McElroy with Patrick Reed. Um, the two uh, on Tuesday were at the Dubai Desert Classic, and apparently at the driving range, Roy was approached by Patrick Reed, one of the players who is notoriously rubbed a lot of players wrong on tour, but also defected for live golf, which Rory is the foremost opponent for. And apparently Rory didn't give him the time of day over there. Patrick Reed flicked one of his live golf tees at him. Rory made a jab when he was talking to the media later about how he didn't appreciate being served a subpoena during his Christmas dinner with his family as Patrick Reed has filed a defamation lawsuit last month. So there are Ooh. levels to this, Brandon, in golf beef yes. right now in a way that made me think of one thing, and that is... The new golf show on Netflix. They need this shit badly. We talked about yes. how different this is going to be than Drive to Survive because you don't have the inherent violence of the sport. You need shit like this. And as much as people might not like him, Patrick Reed is the perfect kind of shit stirrer for that show. So I don't know how much the live guys are going to be featured in that or even the tenants of that. But I think just in general, some of that conflict has to be the stuff that bleeds over if this is going to work. Yeah, I was trying to find the the exact quote uh, that Patrick or that Roy McRoy answered when being asked about it, but he said, "Oh, about about the about the uh, subpoena." He said, 
Patrick came up to say hello, and I didn't really want to say hello, uh, really want him to. But apparently, that's what happened. And if the roles were reversed, and I'd have thrown a T at him, I'd be expecting him to file a lawsuit. That was the quip he made yes. in reference to the defamation suit. Yes, yes, yes. Um, there's something about those two that just feel like polar opposites in the same realm. Uh, I almost feel like Rory is like offended at how much Patrick Reed like has a sloppy body. No, and obviously I'm not shaming uh, sloppy bodies. Cause, no, of course not. You know, yeah, of course. Look at us. Um, but I, I love. You're right. I love the the drama, but I just feel like Patrick Reed needs a little bit more juice to him on the links to to really get this feud going. Like I know he's well, I know he's good, but you know what I mean. We'll find Rory's. out about that as we see more okay. of Live Golf on the CW coming up, apparently, because that's oh, a yes. real thing, like we talked about before. So, uh, Golf Beef, give me more of it, please and thank you. From the people that <gasps> oh. brought us. Phil Mickelson. Do you see what Phil Mickelson recently uh, threw shade at Tiger Woods? Oh, Christ. I wonder there's if an, there's any more meat on the bone left on that when we did that rivalry for so many years and now neither of them is really in the spotlight in the same way anymore, especially Tiger. So I'm sure we'll get some good quotes out of it still because clearly Tiger and Rory have been at the forefront of this we'll talk shit about live golf publicly all the live long yeah. day. So love that energy by all of them. Love this energy, Brandon. Let's get to that. It is mock draft season, baby. As the NFL season winds down, it's time for Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, and the rest of the draft analysts out there to keep us thoroughly entertained and pissed off. Mel dropped his uh, mock of the first 31 picks and had Jalen Carter from Georgia going number one overall to the Chicago Bears was the most recent shakeup, Brandon. His first quarterback off the board came at number two, and as we talked about coming off of Ohio State's game against Georgia in the CFP semi, led to C.J. Stroud being named the number one quarterback drafted on Mel Kuyper's big board. The top five is followed by Will Anderson from Alabama at number three, Bryce Young from Alabama at four to the Indianapolis Colts, and Will Levis, the quarterback out of Kentucky, going to the Seahawks via that fifth pick that came to them from the Denver Broncos' Russell Wilson trade. So, pretty interesting, and this is that mix right there, that group of names, Brandon, I think accompanied by Anthony Richardson, who also shows up very high in this draft, the quarterback out of Florida, at nine overall to the Panthers. That quartet is going to keep us incredibly busy for draft season. Last year was sort of wandering around in the desert because Kenny Pickett ended up being the only quarterback going in the first round. These quarterbacks are going to keep us a lot busier, a lot busier because it's a matchup of college production with the lack of prototypical size versus a couple of guys that really look the freaking part that everyone is going to want to try and see work. Yeah, I'm Quentin Johnson. Johnston is uh, one of those guys for me. TCU Mel Kiper has him going to the Ravens, which I don't know if I love. I was really hoping. I do like a raw receiver at that pick, Mike. I think it's about time that we uh, try to take the gamble on that first round wide receiver because it seems to be paying off recently than it than it did. You know when we were coming up in two thousands, uh, early two thousands. But I was really hoping for one of those Ohio State uh, wide receivers to end up with the Ravens, a real speedster. Yeah, um, he's got Jackson Smith and Jigba. From Ohio State, mocked to, let's see, 
the Jets at 13, which sweet Christ, if the Jets pair two first round Ohio State wide receivers together with him and Garrett Wilson, whoever's playing quarterback for them is going to have themselves a good ass time. Um, Brandon, I will say if the Ravens draft Quinton Johnston in the first round and don't retain Lamar Jackson in some way, I am going to fucking rage quit. (laughs) It's the perfect receiver. To pair with Lamar. Yes, he's incredible. He would be such a great pick. He was a complete and total difference maker on that TCU offense. I thought he was the best player pound for pound on that offense that included the Heisman Trophy runner-up. And I think he'd be incredible. And the thought of another quarterback throwing passes to him pisses me off. Figure your shit out, Ravens. Yeah. I'm with you. So, would be pretty incredible there uh, for the Homer purposes here. Michael Mayer, Notre Dame tight end, mocked to Green Bay at 15, which again, if Aaron Rodgers for some reason wasn't on Green Bay this year and they finally drafted a skill position player in the first round, (laughs) I would weep the most ironically like funny tears in recent memory. Every pick since Aaron Rodgers started uh, speaking out about the lack of weapons and them trading away his friends has been a defensive player and it seemed like an act of war every time. And more often than not, we've given Brian Gutenkutz their GM the past saying, hey, he's drafting good players, trying to build a defense. After the way the defense looked a lot of this year, and if they were to move on from Aaron Rodgers, if they did this, I would consider that a personal front to Aaron Rodgers. I would consider that a deeply personal move that they did just to hurt him. Well, after he said one of his stipulations for staying, or not staying, but he said he wants to play with Mercedes Lewis and he wants to finish out the career, I feel like the Packers would be like, okay, cool. Michael Mayer... First round draft pick. <laughs> oh, man. Michael Mayer, Mercedes Lewis, because Robert Tunyon may not be back either. If you could pair mm. them, I want to see Mercedes Lewis keep playing forever, watching his name pop up on the screen year after year as the, not only he's still in the league, but somehow being productive and he's the size of a refrigerator. It's incredible. The one shining light for the Jacksonville Jaguars for such a long time. Yes, so uh, we'll have plenty more mock draft reaction as we go along here. Very excited. Draft season's one of my favorites, so we'll have plenty of fun with that on this podcast. Brandon, let's finish off with the third. Since we're both now caught up and we've said we are going to be talking about The Last of Us on this podcast when the time is right. Spoilers potentially ahead here, so if you're not caught up through the first two episodes, you can turn off now. You've already made it through a lot of this podcast. But Brandon, how about this? The Last of Us, which is now two episodes in, HBO's newest show, a post-apocalyptic thriller based on the video game of the same name, reported the largest episode one to episode two viewership gain in HBO history. It was up 22% to 5.7 million viewers for the second episode on Sunday night, which is incredible in the streaming age, Brandon, because that's just Sunday night. They pointed out that Game of Thrones didn't have that same kind of jump. House of Dragon didn't have that same kind of jump. This was word of mouth going to work for how good the first episode was. And people wanting to... Like, think about how bad you have to want to get that second hit of the good stuff to sign up and say, no, I am going to go appointment viewing on Sunday night. That's pretty incredible. Yes, I I agree, Mike. I was late to the party. Um, I've been... uh, piecing away through it I through the first episode like a, a chicken uh what's the chicken noodle soup what's the heart what's the, the name of that series no what's oh, the name of that series oh, chicken soup for the teenage soul thank you chicken noodle for chicken oh, i can't i still can't say it um but 
you know, you read like one chapter or one story or one essay a little bit at a time. So I was kind of going through chapter by chapter through it, uh, like an old DVD. That's probably a better reference. Um, but after I finished the la- the first episode, I jumped right into the second, and I couldn't stop watching. And it, it was in, it's something. It's so enticing. It's done so beautifully. It's also very real. In, in a way that zombie films and narratives haven't been in the past, this whole thing with fungus and how they laid out the narrative. And honestly, I'm I'm pulled in and I want my wife to watch, but she's like so afraid of things like this. But I was like, no, 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 no. Just good cinema on television. Please watch this with me. It is. To your point about the realism, I, I heard someone say the best horror movies always attack something that feels like safe and personal to you. That's why a lot of movies mm. are based around the concept of like sleep or the night or under your bed or these places that exist for everyone in their lives. To this point, you know, the threat of global warming, the things that would bring about this are all very real threats that we currently live with. So yeah, they make it real. They get to like every post-apocalyptic movie is really more about the society and the people that are left over much more than whatever version of the reanimated dead are around. And you get a look into how people have rebuilt society and this one really quickly. So it's, it's been really incredible. I went and looked too, because obviously this one has the pressure of living up to a video game that again, our video game correspondent Katie Nolan has alerted me this is an incredibly beloved video game and I went and watched on YouTube a shot by shot comparison of the first two episodes and it's been almost identical they changed a couple of plot elements uh, for the sake of adapting it to screen but even like some of the literal images are pulled right from the video game in a way that seems to have done it justice so far for both audiences that are watching the show and well I feel like there's a uh, there should be some type of warning for people who do shrooms because I can't imagine you ingesting <laughs> that on a regular and and watching this and feeling good. Watching The Last of Us whilst on mushrooms probably not advisable. Watching it before mm. bed is verily advisable. So I would probably stay away from drugs while watching that show. Clickers while tripping does not seem like the recipe. We hope this podcast was the recipe. If it was, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well under the Gojo with Michael Jr. tab. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.